is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. Say this with me. I am not built for guilt. I am not built for guilt. I was not built for it. I was not created for it. I was created in the image and the likeness of God. I was not created to bear guilt. So because of this, because I am constitutionally incapable of bearing guilt, I have to do something with it. I either have to compartmentalize it, shove it off somewhere way off and suppress it, hide it somewhere in the deepest shadows of my heart and act like it's not there. That's called denial, a place in Egypt from what I hear. I'm sorry, the jokes just get worse from here, so I, I don't know how to help you. That's denial. That's living in a place where you simply try to suppress and ignore the guilt that you're, that you're dealing with. The other thing we do is we find someone to put it on. That's what we usually do. And that, of course, is projection. That's when we, we put our guilt on someone else. So I didn't take out the trash, so I remind my wife that she, you know, bumped the garage door with the car so that I can deflect and I can get rid of the guilt that I'm dealing with and I can find something in her to focus on. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, do you? Uh-huh. In Santa Rosa, it's an innumerable company of angels, I can tell. <laughs> Nobody lives in the real world here. Uh, no, we, we have to do something with that guilt. We have to, we have to, we have to flush it out of our spirit and we have to put it on someone else. But what's really, really powerful is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually designed to deal with guilt. It's designed to deal with it. It's designed to resolve it. It's designed to get it out of our spirit and to transform us. And it's the, the pressing that I feel in the spirit when I pray for, for our church, for you, for the people of God, even for just the world at large, when I pray for people and I see relationships being sabotaged, I see relationships coming apart, I see marriages failing, I see resentment between parents and children, I see sibling rivalry. Welcome to the holidays. Welcome to Christmas family get-togethers where if your family is anything like my family, it's awkward. Now, I love my immediate family. God's blessed me with very good, wonderful, immediate family relationships. But I've got extended family that's crazy. They're nuts, people. And they're, they come to Christmas and they just crazy stuff. Anybody want to know what I'm talking about? Why is this time of year so depressing for so many people? Because so many relationships have been sabotaged because they have unresolved guilt and shame issues they don't know how to deal with. They don't know how to forgive themselves so they don't know how to forgive others. And relationships are sabotaged. And I really believe that the gospel brings healing and reconciliation between people. The gospel is all about relationships. First of all, relationship with God and then relationship with others. Jesus said and Paul said that this fulfills the entire law of God. The entire law of God is fulfilled in our relationships being healed. He's called loving God and loving others. 
So I want to share with you then a story from Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 20. I'll just tell you what it says rather than read the whole text. But in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 20, it tells us that God made provision for Israel. These were, we're talking several thousand years ago here when God was first identifying the children of Abraham as the people we now know as the Jewish people or we now know as Israel. And when God was gathering his people together and he was forming them into a holy community, he made provision for their sins. God said, if I'm going to dwell among you because I'm holy, I have to resolve this issue of your guilt, of your sin. And so God created this elaborate system of sacrifices that would allow the people of God to come before him with a sacrifice as a substitute. So the sacrifice stands in for them. So instead of them dying, the soul that sins shall surely die, God said. So instead of the soul that sins dying, the soul that sins is free to uh, offer a substitute in their place. And so there were a variety of sacrifices from lambs to bulls to turtle doves to um, all sorts of, of sacrifices. This particular description of sacrifice is absolutely amazing to me because here's what God does. He says, I want you to take two goats. The one goat you're going to sacrifice to me. This goat is going to be the atonement. It's going to be the, the sacrifice that resolves immediately your guilt and shame issues and allows you to come in before me to worship. God says, I'm going to resolve it Right here, right now, I'm going to take away your blame. That's the first goat. Then he said there's a second goat that don't kill this one, but this one, he said, I want you to lay your hands upon the goat, and I want you to confess all of the sins of Israel. Now, that's going to take a while. Huh. Well, they didn't actually go down a list of everybody's specific transgressions but what they did is they confessed the categories they confessed the sins generally of of what they had done and the, and the priest would lay his hands upon this goat confess all of the sins of Israel and then they did something extraordinary they took the goat they put a rope around its neck and they they took this young man and they said now take that goat as far out into the wilderness as you possibly can and then release it and let it go. Now, this is the most amazing picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is both of these goats for us. He is the sacrifice, and he is also the scapegoat. That's what the second goat was called, scapegoat. Now, that's where we get the idea these days of a scapegoat. Maybe you've even felt like a scapegoat before in your life. Now, a scapegoat is someone that we choose to put the blame on. Maybe someone at work needs to be the fall guy for a project that went bad. So we set this particular person up. We do it as, as, as groups of people. It's usually, it's usually social communities that look for scapegoats because they want to resolve the issue of social shame. And so they find somebody to, to put it on. They put their shame on this person and that person. That's why we act so horrified when people get caught doing things we've done for years. Oh, can you believe what he did? As if you've never done it. 
But we like to see, and this is kind of bad, but we like to see someone take the fall because then as a community, as a nation, as a city, even sometimes as a church, we all feel better because somebody else got what was coming to them. That's kind of twisted, isn't it? But it's human nature. It's the way we are. It's the way we operate. You can, you know, a guy can come home from work and he can be miserable because traffic was bad. That would be like every day in California. He can come home from work. He could be really irritated because traffic was bad, because the boss chewed him out, because he's, you know, he's afraid he might lose his job or whatever's going on wrong in his world. And he walks through the door and he's feeling all of this frustration. He's feeling all of this misery. They say misery loves company and I'll tell you why. Because misery likes to put it off on somebody else. So he walks through the door. He's completely bummed out. When he walks through, there's his cheery, chipper little wife standing there, you know, just all happy. How did your day go? And boom. <laughs> he unloads. And not only does he tell her how bad it was, but he starts telling her how bad she is. And why couldn't you have supper ready when I got home? And why couldn't you? And here we go. Her eyes widen. Her lips thin out. Her cheeks flush her fingers begin to clench and unclench slowly her feet widen into a defensive stance and it's on buddy and she feels like the devil incarnate she's ready to rip somebody's head off she's he's feeling better am I telling the truth he's feeling better He's like, what are you so upset about? She goes looking for a kid. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to find somebody to take this out on. Now, that's twisted, but it's what we do. It's the way we deal with these issues. And you see, Jesus Christ came to show us how that in Christ we could put our guilt on Christ how Jesus could resolve our guilt issues and we don't have to let those guilt issues sabotage our relationships. Now, I'm not going to ask you. You can plead the fifth if you want. I'm not going to ask you to confess publicly right now, but I want to know how many in this room besides me, and I'm confessing, can say that my own guilt has at times caused me to judge others harshly. Most of the time when my mouth is running and I'm talking critically, I'm trying to silence the voices in my own head. If I can see the picture of the gospel that these two goats represent two sides of resolving guilt, that in these two sacrifices, Jesus, or these two goats, Jesus has become our sacrifice and our scapegoat. Here's what's really cool. He not only resolves the issue immediately of our blame. In fact, if I could, let me, let me name these two goats. The first one is blame. He deals with the issue of blame. Now, you see, blame is external. Blame is outside you. Blame is everybody pointing their finger at you. And you learned blame when you were an infant, the first time you heard the word no. I'm a, my wife and I have six children, okay? We have an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old, two girls. Then we have 10-year-old and 6-year-old boys. Then we have twin girls that are two. They'll be three this month. Okay, people? It's a lively place at the Pixler house. 
My wife and I joke with our church, it doesn't matter where you are as parents, we can relate to you. <laughs> got kids in college? So do we. You got teenagers at home? So do we. You got young boys? So do we. You got babies? So do we. <laughs> so grow up and deal with it. <laughs> no, no, I don't say that. I don't say that. I'm nicer than that. But have you ever noticed, I, this is kind of funny to me. I have a twisted sense of humor anyway. <laughs> Probably never noticed that so far, but. I have a twisted sense of humor. And it's funny to me watching the look on a baby's face when he's first told no. It's this look of surprise, like, <laughs> what? No. It's a look of bewilderment, like, but I want it. What could be wrong with it if I want it? And it's right there in that moment and as it develops into where by the time they're, you know, my boy's age, I feel like no is basically the only word I say. In fact, I'm thinking about just recording it on my phone. No, 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 no. Or finish your homework, finish your homework, finish your homework, finish your homework. I'm just going to put it on a repeating loop. Finish your homework. It's like constantly, constantly having to tell these kids, no, no, no. And so what happens is as a child, as they begin to develop self-awareness, and I've seen this happening in my own children, as they begin to develop self-awareness, they begin to develop a sense of something's wrong with me because I keep doing the wrong thing. They start developing this sense of because blame is constantly being, and, and it's, it's inevitable. I can't tell them it's okay to put the fork in the electrical outlet. Oh, honey, you just go right ahead. I can't do that. I, they, they're going to die. I, gotta, I, gotta, I can't help the fact that you have to deal with no. But what I can do is try to show you that just because your actions need to be corrected, just because you need to grow up, become more mature, control your temper, just because you need to learn how to get along with your brother and don't kill each other, just because you need to learn how to restrain your impulses and don't do everything that hits your brain, don't say everything that comes to your mind. Don't say it just because you think it, son. Oh, come on now. Anybody ever had a child just embarrass the fire out of you? It's like, kid, just because you thought it doesn't mean you have to say it. It's not a lie if you don't say it. And yet I have to somehow teach my children that just because they are being blamed and sometimes rightly so for something done wrong that's not an indictment or a condemnation of them as a person it's rather an invitation to become better to grow so rather than telling them what they've done wrong I would rather tell them what they could do better but what happens is we begin to develop because of this blame that's coming at us we begin to develop the other side of guilt. The one side of guilt is blame. The other side of guilt is shame. And we begin to develop this internal sense of guilt. Blame is external sense of guilt. It's somebody telling me that I did something wrong. Shame, on the other hand, is the internal side of guilt when I begin to feel inside, not just that I have done wrong, but that I am wrong. I didn't just lose, I'm a loser. 
I didn't just fail, I'm a failure. And that's when we begin to deal with issues of, of self-identity, self-awareness. We begin to deal with issues of insecurities, inferiorities. We begin to start feeling defensive. We start retreating into ourselves or we start aggressively coming out into everybody's face. We start developing mechanisms and tools and means and ways to deal with what we're feeling on the inside. Blame becomes shame. Now, I'm saying that this scapegoat, this passage that talks about these two goats, it's talking about dealing with both sides of it. When they come before God and they're dealing with blame because of their sin, God says, let's sacrifice this goat and deal with the issue of the blame that has been pointed at you. I will take away your blame. I will take away your guilt. You will be declared not guilty. You will be found innocent. That's what the sacrifice is all about. But it's not enough just to deal with my blame. I have to deal with my shame. My son Nicholas is 10 years old. He walks into my room the other day. I'm watching a video on my iPad of some, I don't know if it was a documentary thing. I was watching some YouTube thing or whatever. I was watching my iPad and this video was very important to me. I was very engrossed in what I was watching and, and um, I didn't really want to be interrupted. I'm sorry for that. Don't judge me. All the parents in this room right now are looking at me very piously. Like, I can't believe you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, you are the one who eats the Oreos in the pantry with the door closed so the kids won't find you. I know who you are. My wife and I, we, we joked to one another, when we get in the nursing home, we're going to be, we're going to roll our wheelchairs up beside each other when we're 85, and we're going to finish all the conversations <laughs> that we haven't been able to finish for the last several years. Nicholas walks into my room, I'm watching this video, and he interrupts me. He's very energetic. He's um, very hyperactive. He's, um, I think, about 87% of the energy of the universe is in Nicholas. If you ever wake up in the morning and you're feeling sort of tired, he's probably being very active, and he's just like pulling all the energy of the universe into himself. So he, he runs into my room, he sees me watching the video, and he just immediately interrupts. I'm still watching my video, trying to like signal by the fact that my head is still down, that I don't want to be interrupted, and he don't stop. Dad, 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 dad. He starts poking me. Dad, dad. I don't like to be poked. Dad, dad. Do you? Dad, dad. And finally, I hit the pause on my video and I look up. And his face falls when he sees my expression. And I said, just a minute. And he falls back against the bed. And he says, I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. Well, I'm sorry, but I just forgot all about my video at that point. I don't care about the video, really. I care about that boy. And I said, Nicholas, son, you are not stupid. You, Lord have mercy. You might need to learn to, you know, use good manners when you come in to speak to someone and wait if they're doing something. But, hey, that's just, that's an easy fix. The last thing in the world you are, son, is stupid. You're like a walking encyclopedia. The kid knows more about the whole world at 10 than I know at 45. Today, by the way, it's my birthday today. I'm 45 today. That's right. 
Son, the last thing you are is, but you see what he did? He took blame, the look on my face, and he was turning it into shame. His own internal appraisal of himself until he begins to be locked in this attitude, this mindset of shame. Jesus Christ has come, and I'm, I'm preaching this into your spirit today. Jesus Christ has come not only to deal with the issue of blame, sacrifice the goat, you're accepted in God's presence because the penalty for your sin is paid in the cross, but God also wants to do something more with the residual effect that sin has produced in your life. He doesn't just want to take away your sins in the cross, say, not guilty, and then just leave you to go on the rest of your life the way you were. It would be like a man arrested for public drunkenness, disorderly, got drunk in public, caused a big scene. They bring him in before the judge, and the judge, for whatever reason, say it's a technicality, brings down the gavel and says, not guilty. The man's penalty for his crime has been thrown out of court. He is not guilty. There is no record of his wrong. He walks sort of crooked out of the court saying, thank you, judge. <laughs> Completely forgiven. All blame is gone. But he's still drunk. He's still an alcoholic, or as my grandfather would say, an alcoholic. He's still got the same issue that brought him in in the first place. So the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just want to deal with your guilt, your blame, your forgiven, but the gospel of Jesus Christ wants to put a rope around your shame. Put a rope around the mindset that you have developed as a result of living a lifetime under guilt of being told you were stupid or being told you were a loser or being told you're just like your daddy or being told all of the curses that have been spoken into your life, spoken into you for years. They're internalized inside you. And Jesus says, through the gospel, I want to heal you. I don't just want to take away your guilt. I want to take away your shame. I want to take your sins away. And here's the really cool thing. The first goat is sacrificed instantly. You are forgiven instantly. If today you hear the gospel and believe it, repent of your sins, you join in Christ and in his community through baptism, and God fills you with his spirit, your sins are gone. Gone. As in never to be remembered against you again. God will never bring you back. No double jeopardy here. You're not coming back to court to be brought up on those charges again. You are forgiven. And yet you walk out. Amen. And yet you walk out on Sunday forgiven, but still have all your issues. <laughs> You're looking all holy at me again. <laughs> what, what issues? What are you talking about, Pastor? When God saved me, he perfected me. Yeah, that's your first issue right there. We walk out and we think, I'm saved. Now my marriage is going to be wonderful. My children are going to be wonderful. Man, God's going to bless me. I'm going to have more money than I ever had in my life. 
man, I'm never going to have a temptation again. I'm never going to wrestle with sin again. I'm never going to have any cravings. I don't want to smoke no more. I don't want to drink no more. I don't want to do drugs anymore, man. My life has changed. When I hear that old music, I don't want to dance anymore. Yeah, yeah, until you get out the door. And then as soon as you're out the door, you're finding that you're living in the old world that's still calling your name and, and it's pulling on stuff that's still down. Somebody help me preach today. <laughs> stuff that's still pulling on your spirit and all your Holy Ghost sanctified self is still fighting with your wife. Speaking in tongues out of one side of your mouth, all in the spirit out of one side of your mouth and cussing out of the other one. Don't tell me now, Pastor, too long. I know what people are like. In fact, I've looked in the mirror enough to know what people are like. The truth is that the gospel of Jesus Christ not only makes provision for your immediate forgiveness in the presence of God, but the gospel of Jesus also makes provision for the gradual day-by-day -day growing process of sanctification by which God gives you victory over sin. Now, who in this room wants that kind of healing? Where God not only gives me a sacrifice for sins, but a scapegoat for my guilt, for my blame, and for my shame. Okay, very quickly, let me give you five things. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Each one of those five things is a sermon all by itself. Good news is I'm not preaching them all as a sermon by themselves. Amen. So here we go. How do I allow Christ to become my scapegoat? In other words, the one that I can put my guilt upon, my blame and my shame, so that my issues are not worked out on my wife and on my children, so that my issues are not worked out on my coworkers. How many people have lost jobs because they don't know how to resolve their issues? I want to work it out. So here's how I do it. I want to work it out on Christ. Number one, write this down, by faith. By faith. It's, it's really that simple. By faith. It starts by simply believing the gospel of Jesus, that Christ Jesus has declared me forgiven. And it's in the faith that I believe that I am forgiven that I find the power to be changed on a daily basis. So every time I'm dealing with my issue, I have to go back to believing Christ has forgiven me no matter how badly I just behaved. Christ has forgiven me. And it's in going back to that moment in faith that it releases into my life the grace to deal with my ongoing issues. Number two, by confession. Write that down. By confession. So Jesus Christ is my scapegoat. I believe by faith that he has taken away my sins, that he is leading my sins away into a wilderness to never be seen again. I, I, secondly, I, I receive that by confession, by repentance and confession of sin. Confession lays my actions upon Christ. When I confess what I have done, I am putting what I have done upon Jesus I'm confessing it to him. I'm refusing to hide it. But confession also frames my recovery. It, it teaches me how I'm going to recover by confessing not only that I have sinned, but confessing also that I am forgiven. And that's the positive side of confession that most of us have overlooked. We confess negatively that we have sinned, but fail to confess positively that we are forgiven. Do not get off of your knees when you kneel to repent and confess that you have sinned. Don't get up until you can confess you are forgiven. 
till you can speak verbally, I am forgiven in Christ. We name it to tame it. By confessing it, we put a name on it. We identify it. We bring it into the light, and God helps us deal with it. Number three, by the Holy Spirit. It cannot be done by the power of the flesh. It must be empowered by the Spirit. Number four, by worship. The word worship actually is the word worth ship in the old English worth ship when I worship God I am worth ship him worth shipping him I am saying you are worth e you are worth e and when I begin to proclaim his worth I begin to reevaluate my own worth in light of what he says about me there's a whole message by itself and number five by purpose, by purpose. When I begin to find purpose in my life, I begin to find the place where I can be fruitful. Then the emptiness and the loserness that I have felt in my life begins to be filled with fulfillment and fruitfulness. And I start feeling worthy because I am living the purpose for which God created me. Can everyone say amen? Now, Jesus Christ has come to this room to change you today. I want you to stand with me right now. If this word has spoken to you, I want you to do something very simple. I simply want you to lift your hands and begin to confess before the Lord that you are forgiven, that your sins are taken away, and that you accept the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. Can you lift your hands before the Lord right now and just simply speak that to him? Father, I confess before you that my sins are forgiven in Christ. Father, I confess before you that you are taking away my shame, that you have cursed the blame that has imprisoned me. For more information about who we are, we invite you to go to thepromisecenter.com. God bless you.